Well, good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Free Tools will try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana is 225. And you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. We sure wish you would. We always appreciate hearing from folks all around town, all around the country, wherever you may be. Just give us a call. We try to be glad to try to hook you up, give you some information. And, you know, right now is the perfect time to call. It always is. I mean, last week we had a couple people on hold just as we went out. They right. called right at the end of the show and just didn't have time to get their calls. So, yeah, if you call early in the show, we've always got plenty, plenty of time. So if you go ahead and just ring us up and give us a ring, we'll be glad to try to help you out. Get you going. There you go. Or get you stopped. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Either way. I had a fellow who emailed this week, and he was asking me to just briefly discuss the long-life oil and stuff like that uh-huh. that they're putting on the, on the market now. And in my opinion, that sort of thing, the high-mileage oil and all that, is really just more marketing than, than anything, anything else. else. Yeah. You know, a engine that has been properly maintained, the all specified by the manufacturer is good for the life of that engine. Sure it is. And possibly way beyond the life because but you said the key word, maintained in Correct. A, correct. And if, if you're trying to address a problem with a different oil, that oil is a wonderful product. It protects does a lot things. of things. It does a lot of things, but it can't regenerate damage that's occurred nope. from abuse. Nope. And I don't know what the premise is why they think you would need a higher a different oil at higher mileage because you just don't i can remember back many many years ago it used to always kind of be a old wise tale to use dated word that if the engine started burning oil you would go to a thicker viscosity oil right i've heard that and really that is 180 degrees from the truth because what happens when you thicken the viscosity of the oil, you sling more oil up on the cylinder walls. It stays there longer. Stays there longer, doesn't run off as fast. So actually, it's You're creating a bigger problem. A bigger problem than you had before. Not only that, but in an old gummed up engine, sludged up engine, it doesn't run back as fast. When you crank the engine up, it's not going to get up to the top of the motor as fast. So sure. it's really the opposite of what you should do. Right, because oils do so much on today's modern engines. It does. And if you remember, Ford had some problem back, oh, I don't remember exactly when it was, somewhere, when they were burning a lot of oil in their engines, right? and they came out with a thinner oil. Right, they had actually spec'd a 5W30 oil for that vehicle, and when they started having the the oiling issues, they actually went to a thinner oil, which is a 520, which they stayed with. Uh Uh-huh. And what they found was the 520 actually diminished the oil consumption Yep, because it ran off faster, so it didn't overload the cylinder walls. It didn't get slung around quite as much. It got to the top faster. It lowered the oil pressure a little bit, which also helped with oil consumption. You wouldn't pump it all up in the top of the valve guides, and you had bad valve guide seals. Right. So it's, it's one of those things. Really, the all that is specified for the vehicle is good for the life of the vehicle. And do yourself a favor when you do that. Stick with the same manufacturer. Same brand of oil. All, all oil is, is great, but a lot of them aren't compatible with each other, and you may end up, you know, if you, you go from one brand to another and Correct. then from another, you may end up with an oil consumption, consumption problem. problem. Yeah. All your oil that I know of is going to, I mean, unless you use some really, really, really bad stuff, uh-huh. any name brand oil is going to meet the specifications. Now, you got to watch 
certain vehicles require a certain kind of oil. They do. And Particularly today's modern, modern cars. Today's modern cars are even worse about it. They have certain additives in a certain oil that is designed to protect some component in that engine. And you can't, that's not a suggestion. That is a requirement. That is a requirement for that vehicle. You know, a lot of people will say, well, with the newer, like the new Toyotas, just to pick a car, uh-huh. they require synthetic oil. They say, well, I'm going to change my oil more often. Can I go to regular oil? No, you can't. No. The synthetic oil is not in there to extend the oil change interval, even though they have extended oil change intervals. It's in there to protect those timing chains that you didn't have on the old engines because exactly. you had timing belts. And Toyotas, Toyota started out with the synthetic, the Zero Twenty, Right. And now they've actually gone to a 0.16. Right. And in the future, I think they're actually going lower than that. Yeah, 0.14. Something like that in the future. And that's to make those automatic tensioners, the automatic cam timing, all the stuff that's That they're requiring the oil to do. And it also, the engines they're building today are much tighter specifications. Much tighter. Like the the clearances on the main Uh bearings and rod bearings is much tighter than it used to be. It used to be between two and three thousandths of an inch. Now it's down to about a half. You know, five ten thousandths to right. a thousandth of an inch. So they need the thinner oils to get in there. I've had people say, well, you know, that's too thin. That oil's too thin. And I'm, I'm going to go with a thicker oil. Well, no, no, no. You can't do that because that is the oil that's designed to go in that engine. You will cause problems. Well, we've seen where someone would dump the wrong oil, like in a Honda, and start setting cam timing codes. Sure. Uh, uh, very, a lot of times that happens. Yes. So you have to be a bit careful with using the right all the all that meets the specifications for instance all of your gm products from 2012 up require all that meets the dexos standard sure and dexos is not a brand of all it is a specification right in other words if you buy mobile one that's going to meet dexos standard not all oils do well and that dexos label will have to be on the back of the bottle right if it meets that specification right. if you don't have that emblem on the back of the bottle or the front of the bottle do not then use that oil in a, that in a GM do, vehicle. Do some heavy-duty research to make sure it meets Dexos' standards. Right. Because if it doesn't, they're going to void your warranty if you have an engine problem. Exactly. Let's go to phone lines with Tim. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, gentlemen. Three quick questions. Hopefully, I'll make it fast. Okay. Uh, GMC Sierra truck, 2001, 5.3-liter engine. I've got 285,000 miles on it. Okay. Wonderful. Rigorously maintained it. It's been a wonderful truck. Doesn't use oil. Doesn't leak anything until... The other day, I noticed a couple oil spots under it, crawled underneath it, and it's right on the side of the oil pan near the starter, and I know those things can have a rear main seal leak when they get old. They do, Tim, but before you you go to that, there's a little bitty block-off plate right above there with two bolts in it, Mm -hmm. and those, I swear, an oil cooler would have went if the vehicle had an oil cooler. Those little seals are bad about leaking, and it will run down right in the spot you're talking about, and often gets blamed on an oil pan because it seeps out and it gets that little ridge of the oil pan goes all the way around, and the back of the pan is slightly lower than the front, so people think it's either a main seal or an oil pan. Now, they have had trouble with the rear main seals. They've had trouble with the oil pans also, right. but make sure it's not that little plate gasket because those are super easy to change, super inexpensive, and they leak a lot. Now, that vehicle with that kind of mileage on it, it could have a harmonic balancer seal leaking slightly, and what it does is it just kind of dribbles down the front of the block till it hits the oil pan, hits the ridge, and like Lewis was saying, it runs around the back. That's the lowest point it drops off. Yeah, they get blamed. The rear main a seal lot. gets blamed more than they go bad, tell you the truth. We've had people come in, and they've got a new rear main seal, and it's still leaking, and we go in and fix them, and, and we find other things. So just be careful that that is where it's leaking. 
Okay, it had a towing package on it, so would it have an oil cooler? It or would should. It block off? Maybe, maybe not. And even if it's got an oil cooler on that, it, it's still got a gasket there. Right. It's two holes that are cast into the block where all pressure comes out for the cooler. Some of them have a block-off plate. Some of them have an oil cooler. The easy way to find out if you've got the uh, cooler on it is to open the hood and look on the right side of the radiator as you're standing in front of the vehicle. You'll see two big hoses coming out of the right side of the uh, radiator. That is an oil cooler. Okay, that'd be on the driver's side. Driver's side, yes, sir. Okay. Other quick question is, the, the one thing I sort of forgot to maintain until I listened to your show was the power steering fluid. So mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, I started sucking out with a turkey baster, what's just out of the reservoir, which mm-hmm. is about a pint, putting a fresh pint in, driving a couple of days, like another pint. I did that six or seven times. Uh, you know, it came out of there looking like iced tea, but it mm-hmm. went back in, you know, it was pretty clear because mm-hmm. the gym fluid's clear. Mm-hmm. I checked it again this year after a year, and it's back to being really dark again. Is that a bad sign, or is it getting Not necessarily. It's kind of amber color when it's fresh, but when it heats up and goes under pressure, it's going to darken. doesn't necessarily – you would have to basically send it out and have it analyzed to see what's in it. It may just be darkening on you. I wouldn't be too, too concerned about it. I mean, the color of fluid is really not a true indication of the condition. A lot of fluids depends on what kind of fluid it is, what kind of dyes they have in it and all that. I know brake fluid does the same thing. Some brake fluids stay crystal clear and can be, they look like drinking water, but they could still be totally contaminated. Other fluids get very dark real quick. And brake fluid, when it comes out of the factory, it, it has different colors fresh out the bottles. So right. Different, like, different batches have different colors. I think it's all probably clear and they just add something to it, some kind of dye or something to make it just to make it for identification purposes. Same thing with transmission fluids. I've seen transmission fluid. We'll replace it a couple of times, and it's still very, very dark. It's just the way that one is. Other ones, you know, they totally contaminate it, and they're still, still not still red. Bright, so yeah. Color is kind of sort of one indication, but it's not the sole determining factor. Okay. And one other quick comment, because I listened to the show a couple weeks ago, and you were talking about tires and, and changing tires and, if, and you know, not to change one, to change them in pairs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, you also mentioned something about tire pressure monitors, mm-hmm. and obviously if the batteries go bad or sometimes you rotate your tires that can't find them you get you get a gps signal on your dash and some people just ignore that and you know and it it doesn't affect the drivability well i thought the same thing until i went to look at getting a second set of wheels and winter tires for my nephew's car Mm because he's way up michigan and i wasn't going to put a second set of monitors in them i was just going to say just ignore your light all winter long while your winter set of tires are on there and, and we'll get it all synced up again in the spring when we put your regular wheels back on but I happened to be reading then the owner's manual. It was a Ford Escape of 2009, which comes, or 2010, which comes standard with Ford's Stabilitrack feature right. to help stabilize the car, which is what I bought it for because he's not too good a winter driver. Right. And it says in there that if there's a tire pressure indicator light on, the car is can be driven normally, except that when that light is on and the computer's getting a code, the computer will automatically disengage the Stabilitrack feature. Very well, man. It won't re-engage until that code's cleared. So mm-hmm. that's one thing to be mindful of. About. Check your vehicles, and, and it may be that you can drive without that with that light on, but you may not know it. You might not have your stability control feature. Well, we know there's a lot of people coming in with that light on, and like you said, they're just not worried about it, not going to spend the money. Now, me personally, I love it. I love that feature. My wife was on the way to New Orleans by herself Thursday morning, and light popped on. Well, she had a tire, and luckily she was able to pull off, call AAA. They came out and changed it out for her, but she may not have known that, and it was a back tire. So by the time it went flat, because it went completely flat on her, 
So, yeah, I like that feature. It's handy for me. I mean, I do check my tires from time to time anyway, with or without it, but it's sure nice to get a signal. And the way the Toyota works, it gives you a live reading, so you can see how fast it's losing air. So you can figure, hey, can I get to the next exit, or do I need to get off right now? So, yeah, I like it. It's a good feature. Yeah, I think it's a wonderful feature, too. The people that ignore their dead tire pressure sensors or ignore those signals, though, they just probably need to realize, depending on their make and model, that mm-hmm. if they have to make a fast, evasive maneuver, they may not have their stability control. That's, that's like true. I think it will. That is true. So, you guys have a good day. Oh, thank you, right, man. Thank you. Bye-bye, Tim. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more in the Automotive Hour. If you ever plan to motor west. Ah, yes, Mr. Bigfoot. Uh, make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. If you join us in the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you've got a question or a comment on the show, just give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. And, you know, we announced last week that the first caller today who asked for a copy of OBD2 Diagnosis Made Easy Correct. would get one, and no one's called in yet. So we still have that available. If you are the first Happen caller who calls in and asks for a copy of the book, We'll send we'll that out sure to you. we get it out to you. There you go. So I'd mention that. You were talking about the TPMS sensor. Uh-huh. And there are some systems out there that do have a function where if you put a set of tires on there, you can have it a winter tire and a summer tire setting. Correct. You actually have eight sensors. You have four in the summer tires and four in the winter tires. And there's a just a regular push button. When you change from the winter set to the summer set or vice versa, you can press the button and change the tire pressure monitor system to read the other set of wheels. Right. I know Toyota there's, has that on some of their models. There's no going in to relearn the sensors or break the old sensors down and take them out of the summer tires and put them in the summer rims. And, right. And that way, it's easy for the customer to do. But Toyota is the only one that I'm aware of right now that has that Yeah, there setting. may be some others out there. Or we just had There may be. Very well may be. Where they've got a programming function where it can deal with more than one set of tires. Right. Now, you know, another thing is, as Tim had mentioned, if you go to a shop and you say, okay, I want to buy a set of winter tires, and here are the wheels, and I want these tires put on these wheels, but I don't want tire pressure sensors in Mm -hmm. there, and I need you to put them on the car for me, it would be illegal for the shop to do that. Right. Under the law, a shop cannot do anything to cause that system not to work. For instance, if a system comes in not working... And you elect, as the owner of the car, not to repair it. 
well, that's kind of your business. You can you can do that because you're the owner of the car. Sure. But I can't do anything as a shop to cause the system not to work. I can't take those monitors out of the wheels and put regular valve stems back in. Correct. I cannot do that. And I can't put another set of tires on that do not have sensors in them. Right. Because that's a, when they wrote the law, that was specified in there that they were not allowed to do anything to cause it not to work. Correct. Let's go to our phone lines. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Hi, good morning, Lewis and Brian. Merry Christmas to you. Well, thanks, well, thank sir. You. Motor oil being one of the topics earlier discussed, mm-hmm. my motor oil, which I think is the same as your standard motor oil, if it's a 5W20 that you probably buy in a 55-gallon drum, is getting very hard to find. Okay. Uh, can I say the name? Yeah. It's Mobile Super. Yeah, and right. what they've done, they Mobile has revised all of their oils the Exxon product as well, they're kind of phasing Exxon out, and this is a pl- long-term plan. They'll quit making Exxon oil at some point, and all the oils will go to mobile, and all the gasoline is going to go to Exxon because they felt like they were just kind of competing against themselves. They re- cha- they changed the names and all, but if you're buying the standard-grade mobile product, it's the same product in you know, in the can or in the bottle, they basically revise the specifications up. Almost every oil in the market now meets synthetic oil spec. And it doesn't mean that it's made out of a synthetic product. It's just a federal judge at one point found that if the oil meets a certain specification, you can call it whatever you want. And so now what you'll notice, almost everything is either synthetic or semi-synthetic. You just don't hardly see conventional oil, even though it may still be made of conventional oil. Well, one of the factors that's important to me is when they slap that label on there that says synthetic, the price seems to go up about 100%. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, and all it does, rather than making all, because most of the modern cars are acquiring synthetic oils, they've just increased the specifications to bring them all up to where they would meet that, even though they're not necessarily made out of PAO or you know made out of an ester. There may be a conventional oil, but as long as it meets that specification, they can do it. And I guess they're just looking to the future where all cars will be synthetic. So you can use synthetic in a non-synthetic car, but if you go the other way around, you can cause problems. So I, I'm assuming it's just all marketing. Well, I appreciate the information. I guess I'll be forced to switch sooner or later. <laughs> it looks like it's going that way. Yeah. And, uh, Lewis, I, I would love to have a copy of that OB2 guide. OB2. Okay. Well, good deal. I know you're from Baton Rouge. They want, uh, once you stop by the shop, I'll have a copy on the shelf for you. I'll be delighted to do so. I thank you very much. It's all right, Dave. All right. Thank you, Let's man. Enjoy the show. Keep it up. Thank, thank you. you. Bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number for Automotive Hour. If you want to give us a call, glad to try to help you out. Now, if you missed out on the book today, there is one more, which will be given away next week. The 21st. And on the 21st. That is to give the podcast listeners a chance also because they won't hear last week's show until today Uh it runs one week behind on the podcast so if you are the first caller and you ask for a copy of obd2 diagnosis made easy by tim cook we will be glad to send you a copy of it that we will just be ready have your finger on the button (laughs) (laughs) when we call in we were discussing a little bit about the tpms and how a shop cannot cause that to not work if you have a problem and you choose not to fix it the law does not cover that right that is your choice that is your choice but as far at least as at this time as far as a shop a shop cannot do anything to disable that system right and i'm sure in the future they may bring it in under an inspection requirement or whatever like who knows check lights, who knows what's going to happen yeah but the point is, if your light is on, it may affect other things. It's kind of like when your check engine light is on on a GM product. You may notice your remote start 
will not function. Or cruise control. And your control. cruise control will not function. Right. Some vehicles, when they have an active code memory, disable other functions. Uh, I know Toyota's big on that. Mm-hmm. Toyota, if you set an ABS code, it also throws on the traction control light. Correct. It turns the traction because control light it, off on. If it can't see ABS, then it can't operate traction control because they right. operate together. So, anyway, just some of those things. Now, sometimes, too, you may have a TPMS system that is apparently working to right. you. The light is not on. And everything seems to be okay. Right. But it may have a weak battery. Now, that's only going to be a problem if you go in and rotate your tires and try to relearn the system. Right. Because on some vehicles, you have to have a manual relearn where you have to go through and actuate each one of the sensors with a special activation tool. And in that case, when it gets to the sensor that, let's say, has a low battery, it will flag, hey, this sensor's got a low battery. It's still working. But the battery's getting low, and you make your way around, it will not relearn the system because of the low battery. Right. It's, the battery still has enough left in it to signal the transmitter to send the, the pressure back and forth mm-hmm. uh, from the wheel to the receiver, but it does not have enough energy left in it to actually relearn the system. Well, what they do, because when you're programming something, which basically you're reprogramming the sensor, mm-hmm. when you're programming, if battery voltage were to drop out while you program, it's going to scramble that system, and it can't be fixed. So I guess they're trying to avoid that. Much like when you flash a computer on a car, you have to have backup battery power because if your battery voltage drops during the flash process, you're going to wipe out the computer. Right. You're you're messing with the memory and the instruction, basically. Well, it gets in the middle of this program that it's executing, and all of a sudden it's 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 corrupted. So it can't read it anymore. When it comes back, it's not going to have the boot track and all where it needs to be. So you basically just... Just made a paperweight paperweight <laughs> <laughs> and you know that's one of those things that can happen in a lot of situations where you bring the car in with no apparent problem the shop goes in to do something and then there There's is a, a problem. problem and we're going to talk about that a whole lot more in the second segment right now we're going to take our second little break <laughs> So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. (coughs) Not you, Denise. You're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Yeah, we were talking before about things that might happen during the service procedure that some customers may see it, oh, what did the shop do wrong? Uh-huh. And the shop ends up getting the blame for it, whereas they really didn't have anything to do with it. This is sort of a ticking time bomb that was going on. And we mentioned you go in and the light's not on. You get your tires rotated. Now you can't reprogram it. So now the right front is reading the right rear. Correct. And you, of course, human nature being what it is, they want to start accusing the shop of doing something wrong. 
but he didn't. It's just the sensor was low, and it won't go to relearn procedure because of the low battery. Exactly. There's millions of things like that, and shops that have a lot of experience and On certain things total recall <laughs> yeah yeah can that's... often warn you ahead of time which makes the situation oh, a so whole lot better. better yeah one thing that's always and it's never happened to me but it's always been a fear in my mind because we get cars in sometimes that are 15 years old still have the original timing belt on the car uh-huh and what occurs to me is okay the car is running fine you bring it in for say a front end alignment the tech goes to drive the car and timing belt breaks while he's driving it well, now you got a torn up engine. Right. You brought it in running, and now you got a torn up engine. Of course, the first thing the customer can say, well, what did you What'd do you to do my motor? car? Yeah. What did you do to my car? And the tech didn't do anything. He did his job. You neglected the car and caused this. Sure. So it's important to keep sight of the fact. I know a lot of shops get a lot of blame, a lot of horror stories that really aren't their fault. Right. And that's just one of the things. Well, and if you could remember all the little things that go on with each different model you worked on, you could do what you were. You could were, warn people right. up front. And unfortunately, there are thousands of these things. They are. And hundreds of cars. And over the years, they get fixed at some point. So you don't see it for years and years and years. You kind of forget about well, it. Well, and not only that, but let's say you get a new model of the same vehicle you've been working on. And now something happens while that it's on the rack that nobody knew about. Right. Well, one example that comes to my mind is the old Fords that had the twin I-beams. They used to be a straight I-beam that you would bend. Uh-huh. Well, in 1982, they got away from the bendable I-beams and went to a cam right. that you would put in it, which is a big improvement. However, you had a ball joint which had been running in a certain position for uh-huh. years. Right. It may have 100,000 miles on it when it came in for the front end alignment. You put the cams in, you change the angle of the stud on the ball joint. Right. Because that's how it changes the alignment. Well, what would happen is now it would start to bind. If you turn to the left, it would start going to the left. So it kind of wandered all over the road. And after about three or four weeks, it would wear in in a new position. It would quit doing it. But before you align that truck, when the guy came in and says, I need alignment on my 82 Ford pickup or 83 Ford pickup or whatever. If you remembered, you had to, you tell, had him, to tell him. Well, back in the day when we used to work on a lot of those trucks, I always remembered. And sure. I would always instruct the customer. Now, look, this gonna, when we align it, this is what's going to happen. The ball joint is going to change angle. It's going to start to bind. And it may feel like it's wandering around. That will clear up after two or three weeks. Yes. You could warn him about that because you knew about it. And he was most, a lot of times they were, People they were fine were, with were it. fine with that as long as you warned him. However, if you just took and did the job and gave it back to him and now it's doing it, uh-huh. first he's right back again. He's angry. Sure. At this point, there's just tons and tons of things like that. Another thing is like on your Chevy Traverse. If, comes in everything is fine you put it on the rack say to do an oil change or do a tire rotation or whatever the wheels hang down the front shocks will lock up right the diaphragm in the shock actually leaks and i think the fluid gets on the other side of it It does and so now now it's a hydro lock so now the car is riding like a wagon sure and they're like what did you do to my car and because we are familiar with this and we see a number of them i always warn people when they come in right I'm more than happy to service the car for you. This is a possibility. Doesn't happen every time, but it happens sometimes. And depending on what we're doing with the vehicle, we'll either choose to use a flat rack or right. actually use a jack underneath the suspension. Sometimes keep, you can do that to keep the wheels from hanging from down, hanging but down. some cars you can't. Like well, if some you're going to rotate the tires, you 
you have to let the wheel hang down so you can take tire off. Some of the Honda products had the same. They did. Uh, the CRV I think was real notorious for it. Yeah, it, about eighty thousand miles. The eighty hundred thousand miles. Right. You jack it up, everything's fine. You set it back down, and the front shocks are locked up. Going way way back, some of the Fiat products, the little Fiat Spiders used to be bad on that on the rear. Uh huh. The, the front didn't do it, but the rear would. You jacked the car up, the rear shocks would hang up on it, and when you went to put it down, it was locked up. Right. Now, again, I realize you brought the car and it wasn't doing it, but you just can't blame the shop because it's not their fault. Exactly. It was a high-mileage shock. It just chose to do it at that time. And, again, if a shop had had experience with it, they may have warned you up front, which is the ideal. I know we used to get into problems a lot of times where a car would come in – driving straight mm-hmm. someone would ask you to rotate the tires well one of the tires on the back had conicity so when you rotate it to the front it would start pulling to the right or left correct wasn't doing it before but now it is well again it's not the shop's fault they did what you, you told were, them to do what you required they them did to it do. perfectly but now you're angry because your car is pulling right or left mm-hmm. now what we would do is usually rotate tires back to the original position well now they were mad because you didn't rotate the tires right and look i didn't forget I rotated I just, them for you. This is what happened. This is what happened. I now, put them back. You can go take it back to where you bought the tire and see if they'll warranty it, or you can buy two more tires or whatever you care to do. But you can't blame the shop for everything that happens just beyond their control. I remember, too, there was an old, old Cadillac model. This was like a Fleetwood back in the late the, 80s, early yeah, 90s. The big body Cadillac. Yes. And everything was working fine, except that if the battery went dead, the clock on the radio would not reset. Mm-hmm. And it never happened before. They may have had five batteries go dead over the life of the car, but when it got to so many miles, for some reason, the software had a glitch in it, and, and the it, clock wouldn't reset. Right, and you could not reset it. You couldn't reset it. It would just keep flashing. Tw- you go through the procedure, it would just keep flashing 12. Right. And I remember I had a lady come in one time, brought the car in, had it towed in with a dead battery, we put a battery in, and the radio's flashing 12. And she got very, very angry with me. She says, no, you damaged that radio. It's never done that before. I said, well, it may have never done it before. I even showed her the service bulletin. Sure. And she was not going to accept that. So I was about to just go ahead and buy a radio because I didn't want her to be angry at me. We disconnected, reconnected one more time. And that time, for some reason, it went ahead and reset. Right. So I gave it back to her. I said, look, it's working. But next time you disconnect the battery, this is going this to could happen. happen. Yeah. So, you know, it's just a glitch in your car. You have to be mindful of it. And like I said, when you worked on that recently or in the last few years, you work on a lot of a certain car, you kind of know a lot of it. We call them landmines. Sure. In we, we see them coming in. You know it, and you can discuss it with the customer ahead of time. So what it does, it makes it much But It's very easy to explain this before you work on the car. Sure. Once you've worked on the car, then it's always in the back of their mind, hey, hey what did you yeah. do to the car? One of the big ones that I remember, some of the BMWs, and this has been a number of years back, they had this ZF transmission in them. They would develop a cross leak. Now, what a cross leak is, is fluid was leaking inside the transmission, and it would apply the clutches to drive, even though the transmission was Was in park or neutral. Right. And what would happen, because you were driving, it was not a problem. It was you had a slight cross leak. And pressure was always being applied because the car was rolling. It, it made didn't matter. No difference. Right. Zero difference. You'd put it in park and you turn it off. No big deal. But you'd bring it into the shop for say, say coolant service. Yeah, or air conditioning air repair where the car has to be running. If the car sat there running in park for about an hour, 
it was going to burn the transmission up. Sure. Because it was applying the clutches. The car was not moving. So it was constantly slipping. It was and constantly slipping, and you go to back up, you got no reverse. Right. <laughs> now, that's pretty hard to explain to a customer after the fact. The car came in with no problem. You and worked on it, now it back transmission. up. Mm-hmm. Right. And again, it's not the shop's fault. You had a problem in transmission. just wasn't manifesting yet. I remember we were acutely aware of those, and this is back when we used to work on European cars. We would jack the car up, put right. the rear axle on jack stands, put it in neutral, and the rear wheels would just sit there and turn. Oh, yeah. All the time. Well, we just love to sit there and turn. I tell the customer, look, you got a cross-leaky transmission because the rear wheels are turning in neutral. And some of them would listen, some of them wouldn't. But it was just one of those things that you had to warn them up, up front. front. Right. Know? And if you didn't know that and you did the job, that's going to be very, very difficult. Of course, if it goes to the worst case and the shop holds their ground, you take it to court, they're probably going to lose because the judge didn't know anything about a car. Right. Well, it was, it was driving His, when it came in. That, he's he's, he's he sees all, exactly what the customer sees. That's right. That's right. He has no technical yeah. knowledge. You got no way to. You can yeah. explain, explain, explain. So most of the time, if we inadvertently stepped on one of these landmines, we just took it as a learning experience, fixed and the car, and it moved gave it back on. to the customer, and moved on. Made a because note. I didn't want angry customers out there. Sure. I felt like that would hurt me worse than what it would cost to, to go ahead straighten and straighten it out. Straighten it out. Right. But like I said, it's sort of an unfair thing that happens and that's why shops have to have pretty much you know total recall because right. i remember another big one was the chevy pickup trucks with four-wheel drive you'd get say a leak at the seal so you would accept the job quote the time on it when you went to pull the axles out of the case because you have to pull the axles out of the case to split the case to get the seal out the axle would get stuck. axle would not come out Right, it would stick into the differential, and you could unbolt the housing and move the housing back and forth, but the axle was still stuck. You could not get that axle out, and in many cases, what you had to do is take a bandsaw, cut the axle off, slip the case off, and then get it apart, and then drive it. Sometimes you could drive it. I used to have to replace the spider gear that it was locked up in, right. and the axle. So it turned into a major, major deal. No way to know if it was going to do it ahead of time. You just have to remember when you hey, quoted that job. This happens. Sometimes this happens. It doesn't happen every time. Right. And if it doesn't happen on yours, I will be thrilled to death. <laughs> However, if it does happen. This is where we're at if it does happen. This is where we're at. Another classic example of that is the Ford three-valve engines where you bring it in for a spark plug replacement. You put the wrench on it. You turn the plug, and it snaps off down in the motor. Right. Because it was a defective design. So all you have is the, the top of the spark plug. The rest of the, the hex and the threads are still stuck into the head. Well, the, the threads would come out, but that little partition off the bottom Sometimes would stick down would in the head. In there. Yeah. So if you had all the proper tooling and you got lucky, sometimes you could extract the plug. But right. that was a good hour to hour and 15 minutes per plug to get them out. Occasionally you get one, it ain't coming out. And that means the heads have to come off the engine, which on a forward pickup, that means the body has to come off the frame. And there is a special... All the motor has to come out. There is a special way to get that body off of the mounts that most people do not realize. When they put those bolts in, they put a blue Loctite on them. And if you do not heat that Loctite up and make it fluid again, you will not get that bolt out because the nut on the other side is just has two pieces of sheet metal wrapped over right. it anchor it to anchor it when they put the bolt in it is not designed to hold it against the thread lock to come out mm-hmm. or if the bolts corroded either one and then it's a nightmare to get to the the nut to get it out right, to because get the bolt when you out. put a wrench on that nut and start turning it then it'll 
break those little flaps loose and, and the whole nut turns. just sits there and turns it can't be taken apart right but you came in for a tune-up everything was great and now and here now we are <laughs> you may be going to a 2000 plus job sure because you have to pull the motor out of the truck take the head off to get the spark plug out that's broken off I think Ford ended up getting sued over that as a class action suit where right. they were Repairing reimbursing them. some oh, people for it for a limited amount of time. I think all that's expired now. I'm but sure it is. Yeah, just a horrible, horrible design. And what happened, every time somebody would come in for a tune-up, anytime you had to pull the plug out of this engine for any reason, you had to spend about a half hour to 45 minutes on the phone explaining this. What's good, and what then a lot of times happen? the person you're explaining to has an advisor. Well, they want you to explain it to them again sure. because it sounds so implausible. But you had to either explain it and the customer had to accept that or you had to decline the job. Sure. Because you're taking this risk. I'll be glad to a, do it for it's you. It's a big risk. It's a big, big risk. And the problem is it's well, irreversible. Once you get in there and you turn that plug and it snaps off, you can't done. just put it back in. Right. And Ford advised changing in plugs around 100,000 miles. Which at a hundred thousand miles, it was way too late to be dealing with these plugs because the carbon had already built up in the bottom of it, and that's what it happened. That's how it right. where I would break because carbon the carbon would build, would up, build up on it, and it wouldn't fit back through the hole anymore. That's right. But again, if you didn't explain all this up front, it was very very hard to explain after, after the, the fact. fact. You know, another thing that occurs to me right along the same lines is rear axle seal leaking on a rear wheel drive vehicle, say a Tahoe or a Suburban uh-huh. or whatever. Now, the thing is, the seal is leaking, right? but we don't know about the bearing. Now, the bearing rides directly on the axle shaft. On that particular model. So if it goes bad, many times it will chew that axle up. Sure. Well, the first symptom you're going to get is it's going to start leaking all the seal. So you go in and quote the job for an axle seal. Well, you pull it out and the axles are eating up. Now, if you got one axle, that's about $300 for the part, plus a bearing, plus a seal, plus labor to do it. Right pretty big deal if you got two of them you almost double that so you had to explain before you change look this axle seal is leaking it's getting on your brake shoes it's going to need to be replaced however once i pull this axle out and those bearings fall all over the floor this There's is no not, going back yeah i can't just put it back in right it all this has to be repaired we are committed at this point so the only way to really price that job is to price them on two axles bearings the sure. whole smear Worst case scenario, say we will do our best. We'll I take keep, a look at it when it comes crossed, out. But if I pull the axle out, the best thing you could be able to do is get a record and tow it off with no rear end in it, uh-huh. because I can't push it back in because the bearings gonna fall all over the floor when it comes out. Exactly. So just one of those things to you, know, you got to know about. And again, if you explain that up front, it's not too bad. But if you have to call them back after the fact, people right. are not real, real, They're not real understanding understanding about that kind of stuff another thing is like on the 5.3 liter chevy engines mm-hmm. with the exhaust manifolds right some of the transmissions you have to drop the cross the exhaust because it crosses underneath the transmission pan mm-hmm. the transmission pan won't come out unless you drop the exhaust down right the nuts are not i'm not sure what they're actually made of but if you put an impact wrench on them you'll round them off and you'll never get them off. You'll have to cut them and then replace the studs. What we found is if you take and put some penetrating oil on the threads, clean the threads up real good, mm-hmm. and use a pull handle and manually take them off, they'll come off without tearing anything up. But that's something that the shop should know before they start the service. Right. But who thinks of exhaust when you think of a transmission service? Yeah, you're doing a transmission or you don't really consider the fact the exhaust has to be dropped to get the pan off. Exactly. Hey, we're going to take our third quick little break. Be right back with a whole lot more. 
Hello, you must be Glenda de Goodrich. Uh, relax on the couch and tell me what's stressing you out. Do you know how stressful it is to be good all the time? I don't want to be wicked, but sometimes I just like to not say thank you or pinch a bratty kid or stick my finger in a chocolate. And if I don't like the flavor, put it back in the box. Oh, that would be divine. Unfortunately, Glenda, I can't assist you with your goodness issues. Uh, but for peace of mind, schedule an annual general inspection with Agco Automotive. They'll check out your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and let you know about future repairs. Sad ways there are no surprises. Well, you definitely want your automotive repair shop to be good and not wicked. A young girl once told me there's no place like home, and I've got to go. Just bill me. I'll be somewhere over the rainbow. Toodaloo. Hmm, that little witch might not be so good after all. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm Louis Altazan, president of Agco Automotive. Our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Our number is 291-6901. Just give us a call. And we're going to our phone lines with Herb. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, sir. I got a 2016 Tundra mm-hmm. four-wheel drive. Is there any deadline on get changing the spark plugs on it uh, before they get too have terrible problem? You know, you need to. I'd have to look it up. Most of those now are a hundred thousand miles, Herb. Thereabouts. There are still a handful of Toyotas that are thirty thousand miles. And that's because they're using aluminum heads. They don't want the plugs left in there, so they use a copper plug rather than an iridium plug. One easy way to find out is go price the spark plug. Call Toyota and price the spark plugs. Give, them your, VIN, give them your VIN, give VIN number. number. Right? If they're three or four dollars a piece, they got to be done at thirty thousand miles. If they're about ten, twelve dollars a piece, then they're probably good for a hundred. Right. Otherwise, you could look in your owner's manual. It may give you a, a reference on that as when they need to be changed. And I'm not familiar with that particular one. I think I'm pretty sure it's a hundred, but I would not absolutely guarantee that because there's a handful of them out there that do change choir change at 30 okay i would just got scared listening to y'all there and uh, <laughs> that's all i needed to know okay herb i, I, I thank both y'all thanks thank sir. you bye-bye all right two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number you know I'm, I'm only aware of ford having that that problem with the spark plugs i don't yeah, break off, anything else. and that was a design issue. It was. That was it just was a really design issue. Nobody design. else really that I've ever seen had no. that problem. Is an extension on the bottom of that plug that they put on there to allow for the three valves. Well, and it, and it was a different type of plug. It, it's not the same, you know, five eighths hex little plug of a certain length that you've seen for all yeah, one whole piece. time. This, this was thing a two was piece actually, plug. The bottom it, was welded onto the. It was actually spun welded. Right. So you know, you take two metal components, you spin them fast enough, they start to melt together, and that's what they consider a spun weld right. part. And when you would take them out, that would break because the carbon would build up on the bottom of them because that was a special head that housed two intakes and one exhaust. Mm-hmm. So they had to make a special spark plug for it, and that was. What that was did. what they came up with. And yeah. Now, that <laughs> really changed. Design. I want to say mid-year 2009, they got away from that, and they went to a different, different setup. Plug. So if you got a later model, not late 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, right. 14, I you don't that. have that problem any longer. They did redesign it eventually after mm-hmm. several years. So anyways, another thing talking about uh, things that can happen is a radio code. And when people buy a new car, brand-new car, mm-hmm. they – ask you to type in a numeric code on the radio 
And what that does, it keeps people from stealing the radio because the radio is unplugged and then reinstalled. It just comes up with like SEC for security or something like that. You have to punch in your code to clear it to make it operate again. Correct. Now, if you tow the car to the shop with a dead battery, he puts a battery in it, gets it running again, or they have to disconnect the battery during for service any, for any reason. Right. Same thing. That's going to pop up SEC security. Particularly on Hondas, we see this Honda, a lot. Yeah, Honda has a, a and big issue. And most with it. people do not remember ever having typed this code in, much less remember the code. And a lot of people, just the opposite, will write it down in the back of the owner's manual. That's a good idea. And a lot of times we can go in and find it in the back of the owner's manual, type it in. The only thing is, you have three tries, and yeah. then it locks you out. Yeah. So a lot of times we can get certain numbers out call honda and get the code uh-huh. if, if, if it's, it's lost, all original radio and if it's original radio and all that but you just need to be mindful when you buy the car and you type in that security code write it down somewhere, somewhere. and somewhere where you're going to remember exactly i tell you we're just about out of time we still got a bunch of these to discuss maybe we'll kind of drag them over next week Sounds also great. don't forget call in next week first caller will get obd2 diagnosis made easy if you ask for it and tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank our podcasters for listening this week. Tell your friends and favorite broadcast service and get the word out. There you go. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <music>